Hello, and welcome to this Soulless Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soullesschurch.com. So, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'll read it, and we will then declare together that this is God's word. Now, let's pick up, let, let's start our scripture reading in verse 11, where we left off last week. Ecclesiastes 2 there in verse 11. Solomon, identified as the preacher, writes this. He says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on all the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he is already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet, I perceive that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why then was I more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Therefore, I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he's going to be a fool or a wise man. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom and knowledge and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who hasn't labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul soul should enjoy, enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. This right here, believe it or not, is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. One more time, this is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. Amen. You you may be seated. Just join me real quick for a word of prayer. Father, thanks again for this moment. Thanks again for the gift of your word. Uh, Thanks for what Solomon has to say. As hard as it is to process, we know it's for our good. So may your grace today be somewhat of a spoonful of sugar (laughs) as we try to digest this difficult 
truth today. Ultimately, our prayer is for this time not to be a moment of vanity. We believe it's not gonna be. We believe that this is a place of substance and meaning, Jesus, because you are here. So would you speak to us today? I ask God you would take, that you would take all of my preparation or the lack thereof and use it for your glory. Get me really far out of the way so that your people can hear from you. Jesus, would you speak to us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this morning, uh, the title of my, of my message this morning is actually a question, and it's this question. Simply, what are you working for? What are you working for? Uh, let, let's be reminded here, the book of Ecclesiastes, it is penned by this mysterious character self-identified as the preacher. One who assembles a crowd to communicate a message. That's where you get the word Ecclesiastes. He's a preacher. Now when you uh, narrow down the potential historical figures that match the characteristics of this man, you're left with one figure looming large over history. It's the great King Solomon. Uh, last week, as we looked at Solomon in the previous verses, we, we focused on something specific about him that we see in this book. We, we saw that Solomon was more than just a man of royalty. He, he was more than even just a man of renown. In this book of the Bible, we see Solomon as the great researcher. Just picture Solomon on Google right now in your mind. That's what you should, no, you shouldn't do that. that. That's not the idea. When we talk about research, we're talking about what Solomon has to say about his own life. Solomon tells us that he has set out on a research project to explore everything in this life he calls under the sun. Under the sun. You saw it there in the passage we just read. It's used over 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the context to which Solomon is researching and exploring. And it pertains to what we would call the observable world. Everything you can see with the naked eye. Uh, this research project has no regard, and it takes no regard to consider a God. Or, or some sort of eternal outcome in the end. Now, now, Solomon is not an atheist, and he's not going to act like one. From time to time, he'll kind of show his cards and, and say things like, that was from God, he just did that there. But he's writing as what we might call a practical secularist. A theist, someone who believes there's a God, but who is actually living like a secularist, like this life is all there is. I would argue that most people who identify as Christians today still a staggering percentage of our nation. I would argue that most of those self-identified Christians um, may claim to be theists, but a lot of them live like practical secularists. I see this in the church largely, especially over the topic that Solomon is talking about when it comes to his work. You, you know, there's my Sunday Christian God bless America life where I show up, I do my religious duty, and then there's my nine to five then there's my Monday to Friday. It's like this compartmentalization of our lives to where we go, my spiritual and sacred life, and then kind of like, you know, the rest of my life. Kind of everything else. I'm a theist, but I'm kind of a practical secularist. That's how Solomon's writing. Someone who lives as though this is all there is. And there really lives as though there is no God. Now, 
Solomon is exploring all sorts of different aspects of life with this. Last week, we saw Solomon trying to find meaning in life. You remember that? Trying to look for satisfaction, trying to grab on to something substantial. He's, and if anybody's tried that experiment, it's Solomon. One of the wealthiest men who's ever lived, one of the most successful men who's ever lived, according to scripture, the, the wisest man who ever lived. And Solomon goes from gaining knowledge to having great amusement to having uh, all these possessions to achieving all of these accomplishments to uh, uh, having this great identity. He says it's all just like trying to get a handful of wind. Now try that out. It doesn't really work. I'm not sure if you've, this week as it was blowing, right? I'm not sure if you actually tried to get it. No, of course you did it. We know how absurd that is. That's the illustration that Solomon's using to describe a life that's trying to latch onto meaning and substance apart from God in eternity. It's like trying to grab a handful of wind. Now, here at the second half of chapter two, Solomon turns the attention, he focuses his research under the sun on this four-letter thing called work. Work, labor, toil. It's those three words that he uses. The word labor and toil are actually the same Hebrew word. When it's used as toil, it's used in an active sense. But we see it right there in verse 11. He says, Then I looked on all my works that my hands have done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and here's his conclusion, and all was vanity and grasping for the wind. Solomon, at the end of his life, which many scholars believe that Solomon is writing this on the tail end of his life, you actually get a little uh, hint at the end of this book. It sounds like he's writing it to a young man. And Solomon, as this man who has lived many years, has accomplished a lot of things, has put in a lot of hours, has clocked in and clocked out, he says, as I look back on my life, here's this for encouragement, it was all worthless. He's like, now, um, I know the past two weeks have been rather depressing. I just want to say um, I'm with you in this. I'm reading the same book you are, okay? And I just have to just let you know today that it's going to get worse. Um, you know, is this the part where our spirits are lifted and we just celebrate the whole time? Uh, uh, no, Solomon is, is, is actually helping us, isn't he? What Solomon is forcing us to do when it comes to everything in life, work, amusement, all of it, he's forcing us to remove the superficial rose-colored glasses. Christians love wearing those glasses. Acting like everything's fine. Just slap a positive Bible verse on the problem. Don't ever take an honest, hard look. And I think that's why most of the world looks on and goes, are you guys real or not? And Solomon's shaking that up a little bit, Right? Solomon is forcing us to take a brutally honest look at the realities of life in a fallen world. He's forcing us to look. He's forcing us to focus. And he's serving, I believe in this way, Solomon is sort of serving as like a gardener to our spiritual life. We just want to sit here and grow, but Solomon's like, no, we've got to do some plodding and plowing. We've got to pull out some some weeds. We've got to really do some good work here so that the fruit can last, right? So that's what Solomon is leading us to do. And here, the focus again is on labor. Taking a brutally honest look at his labor. Um, Solomon's looking back on his whole life, and he's examining all that he's done. And I just think it's worth saying here, um, let's, let's just mention this, that Solomon is assuming that life involves labor. 
It, it involves work. So for those of you who are older, that's not a problem to you because you look back on your life and you're like, yep, I'm tired from what I've done the past 40 years. I'm feeling the exhaustion from 20 years ago. But for maybe kind of our younger folks, just want to encourage you and remind you that Jesus worked a job. He did. I'm not speaking to the reality of unemployment. I'm not talking about that difficulty. But I'm talking about, you know, um, Xboxing your way through life. Um, I've seen a lot of, I've noticed this a lot with a lot of young, young guys who want to be in ministry, they want to serve the Lord, and they're like, man, I just want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And usually what that means is, I want to be like Jesus from 30 to 33. Miracles, preaching, crowds, signs, wonders. What about being like Jesus for most of his life? What about being like Jesus who worked and labored in obscurity? Think about that. For a majority of Jesus' life, I want you to think about this. Jesus was somebody's coworker. And that was where God, we know with Jesus, he was learning the Torah, he was learning obedience. We see this all throughout the scriptures, that God puts great calls on men's lives and then lives and then puts them in places of obscurity, places to develop them. Places for them to to build up in their hard work, the rebar and the infrastructure to support what God would want to do in our lives. Like some of the things we pray for, man, God is so good to us that he's not answering them, right? He's like, okay, I would give it to you, but it would crush you. So let's develop you, let's grow you. You know, young men, to be a leader of a household, to be a leader of your family, to be a leader of of people towards the the, the direction of Christ, it's gonna require some development in your life. And so I just think it's important to say that. that Solomon assumes that life involves labor. Now, there's a specific labor that Solomon refers to. We saw it there. It's work, labor, and toil. Um, The word work there simply means occupation. Okay, It's, it's the answer to the question of what do you do? Or what have you done? Think about your resume. What fills up your resume? All right, it's your occupation. It's the thing that makes up most of our lives. Really, our life is spent sleeping, mostly, and working, if you really think about it. So it's kind of that thing, your work. And it's also, notice the word labor. This is an important word. Uh, This word just means exerting energy in order to accomplish a task. All right, so when you think of labor and work and the toil that Solomon is talking about in life that he's saying is all meaningless, don't just think about something you get a paycheck for. Okay, I'm learning this weekend while Brittany is in California and I'm a single dad. I'm learning that you, there's, you don't get a paycheck for being a parent. Now, it would be great if my kids paid me to be their father. I wouldn't love them. I might love them a little bit more. I'm not, okay, but... <laughs> But can I tell you, it's labor. It's exhausting. I've been exerting a lot of energy this week, seeking in many ways to accomplish the task of making sure they're all there when Brittany gets back. But (laughs) this word and this idea of work, labor, and toil, I mean, think about your own life for a second and think about this question we asked earlier about what you're working for. Like, what are you doing? Where has God called you to exert energy? Where has all of your efforts gone? Maybe you're, you're at the place in your life where, like Solomon, you can look back and see it. Maybe it's building a career. Maybe it's building your resume. Maybe it's, it's honing your craft and your skill. Maybe it is raising children that love the Lord, that, that, that are led to know the Lord. Maybe you're just right now trying to figure it out, and your labor right now is homework and school. That's labor. Anything to which you're exhausting your energy. Now, as Solomon observes... Life under the sun and our work under the sun, what, what he does is he exposes 
all of the holes in a life that's laboring and working and striving but has no consideration for God in eternity. He's exposing all the holes in it. He's saying, if that's you, it's, it's meaningless. It's, it's worth nothing. I mean, so much so. I mean, how, if you have ever wondered if the Bible's relevant, verse 17, therefore, I love this, new life verse, I hated life because work was stressful. You know, when's the Bible going to catch up with the times, you know? It's like, it's like when are you going to read it, you know? <laughs> you ever said that? You ever said this? I hate my life because work is stressful, right? So Psalm is descri- he's describing real life. He's describing what he's experienced. It's hard. It's difficult. Um, And and it leads us to ask this question that Solomon challenges us with in verse 22. Look what he says. For what has man for all his labor? That's what he's getting us to ask. And as I said, it's the title of the message. What are you working for? This is what Solomon wants us to get at. Okay, you're stressed out. Why? You're, you're, You're actually losing sleep, he says, over your work. Why? You're exhausted this week. Saturday, you slept in and it felt good. Why were you so tired? Why are you doing it? He asked this question. What are you working for? What's it all for? Now, let's, real quick, let's not be too, um, how do we say, almost conceited here, to, to look at Solomon and go, Solomon doesn't know what a paycheck is. Oh my gosh. Okay, no, he does. Solomon, Solomon knows what a wage is. Because right, right now, a lot of you guys went, well, I'm working for direct depositing into my account is what I'm working for. In fact, without that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing at the job I'm working at right now, okay? But that's not the question Solomon's asking as he's explored work in his own life, as he's challenging our own work and our own labor, he's saying, listen, what is it ultimately for? What is it all for in the end? You ever ask that? It's hard to sometimes because we're so distracted by the rat race. We're so caught up in the hamster wheel. We're, we're so focused on our next day's task, and Solomon is going to almost stand in front of our car, right, and say, stop. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you working towards what you're working towards? And he is going to assert the fact that if you disconnect what you're doing from God, it's vanity. Another vision of vanity. And let's look at what he has to say, and I just want to I just want to, again, uh, preface this by saying this is going to get tough. This is going to get discouraging, okay? Um, Jesus will sweep in in the end as our superhero who saves our lives, and we will praise him for it. But in order to get to the mountaintop, we got to go through the valley here. You ready? So here's what Solomon gives us. Solomon gives us what we might call, you can write this down, the limits of labor under the sun. He's just going to be real. All right, he's going to say, okay, if there is no God, if there is no eternity, if there's not some ultimate end that you're working for, Here are the limits of putting in those 80 to 100 hours a week, even 60, even 30. Uh, The first thing he says in verse 12 is he asks this question when it comes to work and labor. And he uses wisdom in this section to describe skillful labor, uh, applying wisdom to your work. Remember, wisdom, according to Psalm, is not just like this thing you think, but it's an action you do. It's how you're doing your work. And he has to say this in verse 12. First thing he says is, for what can the man do? Who succeeds the king only, he says, what he has already done. So Solomon goes, here's the first limit to our labor. Let's, let's swallow this pill for a second. It's the limit 
of productivity with a limited ability. So the first thing he points to, he wants to talk about productivity, which we're all about productivity, hopefully, right? Uh, Or at least our bosses are all about our own productivity. (laughs) But Solomon goes, here's the first thing you need to stomach. He says this, and it's just such a humble statement of his, isn't it? He says, you're never going to do more than me. Next verse. You know what I mean? Like, what can the man do who succeeds the king? You know who he's thinking about there? He's thinking about the one son of his that we know about, Rehoboam, who is going to take Solomon's throne. But what is Rehoboam going to do? There's no way that he can fill those shoes. If anything, maybe he can tie them. But what is he going to do that's going to succeed what the king has done? There's a limit of productivity. There's a limited ability here. He says, only what the king has already done. Now, this is a theme that Solomon has for all of our, us you know, who are innovators out of here, right? He's like, there's nothing new. There's nothing new. In fact, the second your thing is new, it's actually old. That's what, he's got these sobering thoughts because uh, we love to think that we are the ones who are on the cutting edge of our craft. We are the ones that is here. I'm here to bring a productivity and ability like you've never seen before. Here I am, best cashier you've ever seen in your life, right? <laughs> or whatever, I remember driving Uber for one, one weekend. <laughs> it's one and done. And that was my goal. I said, you know, if I'm going to be an Uber driver, now at that time I was, I was working at a church, and uh, it was a kind of church environment. It's a little bit different than where I am now. We're like, we're church planning, so we're like, it's harder to be stuck within the church walls when the church walls are a middle school cafeteria, you know? And so I was at a season in my life where I was like, I was just so tired of being at a building where people came to. So I, I just was like, I'm going to start driving Uber. <laughs> I, just, I just need to be around people who don't know Jesus and just like be around normal people, to be honest. And so it was so refreshing. It was so refreshing. Um, and my mindset was, man, if I'm going to be an Uber driver, I'm going to go to every surge zone. That's where it's extra spiky. You get an extra income to pay for your gas. That's all you get. But, and I remember talking to a friend of mine. Uh, at that time, it was Isaac Hosa, who had done um, Uber for a time. And I remember after my first week, I wanted to give a call and just be like, dude, so, you know, I, I kind of wanted to, to, to gloat a little bit and be like, so, you know, I just drove Uber tonight. I know you've done it. Um, how much do you usually make in an evening? I'm just, yeah, just curious. <laughs> And I kind of like flaunted mine. And he's like, well, how long were you driving for? And I'm like, oh, dude, committed like four hours. It was 4th of July weekend. He's like, I usually do what you did in like 30 minutes. (laughs) Now, he didn't say it like that. He didn't say it like that. That was my interpretation. I was like, okay. (laughs) What can men do? Now, now here's, here's why this is so hard, right? You ever had this happen? You ever set your heart to be the best at something and then someone passes you and you're like, Solomon's like, get used to it, because that's most of labor. (laughs) You're only as productive as the last person. And before you know it, you'll be the last person that somebody will pass. I I see this a lot, and it's interesting. So for my context growing up, it's the culture of skateboarding. And skateboarding is this unique culture, and it's this unique sport that has progressed over the years in such a weird way to where, because the progression has been so fast and so contra- con- uh, what's the word? concentrated in the past like, couple decades, like, there are kids, like you guys know my son Judah, he's like an avid skateboarder, and, and there are some 
12-year-old kids today that can do tricks that the top pro in the 80s could never dream of doing. It's wild how that happens, how the progression of things. And Solomon is sort of speaking to something unique. Now, listen, we're going to talk in a minute about excellence. Why do we strive? But Solomon is sobering us up to evaluate what, listen, is often the main drive behind what we do. To be better than. To do the most. To do more. We want, in our own right, all of us want to be our own goat. Even if we're not the, maybe the, the greatest of our time, the goot, okay? Maybe not the goat, but, you know, there's this desire for us, all of us in our own way, to have some sort of, like, whoa, did you, did you see? Yeah, there's never been someone like them. And Solomon goes, yeah, there has. And there will be another. So that's kind of sobering. So the first is this limit of ability and productivity, and that was the most encouraging one, I just have to tell you. Okay, here's the next one. He then goes on in verse 13 says, Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. All right? Uh, it's a simple statement. Like, we don't need to show of hands for that, do we? Like, hey, what would you prefer in life? Wisdom or being stupid? You know? It's like, <laughs> wisdom excels. So he, he's, you know, and he tells us why, verse 14, because the wise man's eyes are in his head. Have you ever walked into a wall before? You ever done that? You're like, wasn't wise. You're like, literally, I have, you know? But... But here he's saying wisdom operates like eyes to be able to see where you're going. What a great definition of wisdom, right? The ability to see ahead. God's words like that, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. The foolish man, he can't see a thing, walking in darkness. Now, as awesome as wisdom is, look at Solomon's thought here. Yet, I perceive myself that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. Why then was I more wise? And I said in my heart, this is also vanity. So uh, the, the next limit of labor under the sun is um, our mortality. Limited destiny, we'll call this. Productivity, limited ability. Mortality, limited destiny. Solomon says, yeah, you know, in my life, I definitely ran into less walls than the foolish man. But regardless of how much effort and skill and wisdom I put into my work and my life and my craft, it has no ability to keep me from my destiny, my mortality, my death. Now Solomon is going to lead us. We, we have a whole message in two weeks literally just on death. I'm thinking about titling it after that Coldplay album, Death and All His Friends, you know. But this is where Solomon's taking us. He's having us think about things like this. And nobody wants to think like this. Because it causes us to evaluate what we're living for. We don't want to hear Solomon say, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of rejoicing. Because we know that the living take it to heart. And so Solomon is bringing us face to face with the limit of our mortality that, that no matter what work we put in, what a great question for the secularist. He goes on to say it this way. It's not just wisdom and, and, and foolishness. In, in chapter 9 we'll get here. He says, all things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he, as he who fears an oath. All things come alike. They, they've got the same event scheduled. We all do, don't we? The same event, and that's our, our death. 
what Solomon is doing is challenging what, what the secularist is trying to find meaning in. And he's saying, well, if there is no God, then what is the point? I mean, come on. If, if, if all of our accumulation, like we close the deal, we got the client, we build the funds, we accomplish the task, we finish the work project. He goes, sobering. But if you're just going to die in the end, who cares, he says. And one of the most hardworking entrepreneurs of our day, uh, Elon Musk, he said this. He said, work like hell. Put in 100-hour work weeks every week. This is the, the secret to success by Elon Musk, okay? If others are putting in 40 hours and you're putting in 100, even if you're doing the same thing, you will achieve in four months what it takes them a year. Solomon goes, Why? Why not spend the 100 hours in Cancun? Okay? Or on Netflix. Like, why Elon? Okay? That's what Solomon's saying. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell at Elon like that. Sorry, buddy. Um, what, what a humble, sobering challenge. Now, it, it, it continues to build on this. So the first is productivity. It's our limited ability. The next thing he talks about is our mortality, our limited destiny. And the third thing that he talks about is right here in verse 16, following death. Look at this very difficult, hard-to-stomach thought. For there is no more remembrance of the wise and of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die as a fool? So there's a limited amount of ability in your life. There's a, there's a limited amount of time you have in this life. And as you pass on, Solomon would say that there's a limited memory of your legacy. That one's hard. But Solomon says it's, it's good to think about it. Um, the wise and the fool, not only are they going to pass away, but the memory of them is going to pass away as well. Now, maybe the wise man, maybe the person who's accomplished a lot, maybe his legacy will go on a little longer. But in the grand scheme of forever, he says, if this is all there is, if there is no God, what's the point of building a legacy? If one day you are just going to be added to the number of billions, billions of people who have faded away into history. What are you living for? What are you working for? Now, it's interesting. I want you to notice, too, this word remembrance, for there is no more remembrance of a legacy. It's not just like remembrance, like, oh, yeah, like, I remember. This is really depressing, but like, oh, yeah, they existed. It's like, this word remembrance means celebratory remembrance, Right, like at, 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 a, at a memorial service where you are memorializing and celebrating the person. This is beyond like, come on, nobody wants to be remembered like that, right? Like, uh, yeah, they existed. It's like, yes, I did. All right, you know. Well, what we really want is people to be like, yeah, they existed and they were awesome. And oh my gosh, it's so sad that they're gone. And so Psalm even cranks up the legacy a little bit of what you get. And he says, even that is going to fade away. The song is going to end. There is no God, if there is no eternity, what's the point in your labor? What's the profit in the end if your legacy, again, is just going to fade away into the number of billions of other legacies? Therefore, rightly so, verse 17, he says, I hated life. I mean, we can just ex exhale for a second there and be like, yeah, I feel you, bro, okay? I hated life. It was distressing to me. Now he goes on to say in verse 18, this fourth 
limit. Oh, I gotta, I gotta do this quote. Um, and now it's not gonna mean like anything powerful, but I just love this quote because it's from the movie The Sandlot by fictional Babe Ruth, okay? Remember fictional Babe Ruth and Sandlot? So this isn't, Babe Ruth never really said this and it's an actor portraying Babe Ruth, but when he showed up in that nighttime vision to Benny and counseled Benny for what he should do with that ball that was in the territory of the beast, he said, remember kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Solomon's like, yeah, they do. What? Heroes and legends die, and they're not remembered forever. So I just had to say that. Okay. Fourth is prosperity. Let's talk about this one while we're all on on this happy note here. Okay. Verse 18 says, Then I hated, Solomon says, all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun. Look at this. Because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise. This is also vanity. Therefore I turned to my heart and I despaired at all of my work and labor. Because there's a man whose, whose labor is with wisdom and knowledge and skill. Yet with all that hard work, it just has to be left behind to a man who hasn't even worked for it. And who knows if that man who gets that inheritance is going to continue my legacy in the direction of wisdom. Who knows if he's going to be a fool. He says, this also is vanity. Solomon's talking about his prosperity, all that he's worked for. And he's talking about the limited security and control that he has of his prosperity when he dies. Now, you might be able to control who it goes to. But you are only so liberated to control what's done with it. He says, who knows? Now, I I love Solomon saying, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows if he's going to be a fool or not? Um, I want to submit that Solomon knows. Solomon had, uh, between concubines and wives, had a thousand women. And out of those, all those women, there's one son that we know about, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, by every metric, was an absolute fool. It it took him, by the way, it took him uh, one week to split the kingdom after Solomon died. I mean, come on, could you have gone like at least a month? So all that Solomon works for, he leaves it to this fool. It takes a week, and it's just all squandered and wasted. And Solomon's going, who knows what he's going to do with it when I die? Like, son of my joy, you know? He's like, this is hard stuff for Rehoboam to be hearing probably, but, but hard stuff for us to hear as well. Solomon is saying we have no control over the future of what we worked for. Now, we do in the, in the moment. We have some control, but in the end, what is it all worth? We are limited in our security of our prosperity to some extent. Uh, the Apostle Paul spoke to this, didn't he, in, in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy when he said that we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. What did Job say? Naked I came, naked I go. It's been well said that there are no U-Haul trucks hitched on the back of hearses. Naked we come, naked we go. What we, what we came in with nothing, we leave with nothing. And Solomon says there's a limit to our labor there. Um, so, so again, as we process these things, productivity, mortality, legacy, and prosperity. Solomon says these are the four things that have caused me in my labor without God to hate life. 
And, and look at how bad it gets. I want you to notice what he says. He says, at the end of verse 21, this is also vanity and a great evil. You see that word? Inter- isn't that interesting? Now, up until this point, Solomon has just been saying that it's all vanity. He'll continue to say it's all empty, it's all smoke. But now he says that this disappointment and tragedy of working for nothing in the end is not just vain, but it's outright evil. Now, this is interesting. He's starting to ascribe a morality to this. Now, keep following him. He describes that evil. He talks about a man striving all of his life and working. In verse 23, for all his days are sorrowful. Here's the evil of life, apart from God with our labor. His work is burdensome and heavy. Even in the night, he takes no rest. So uh, you, you, have, um, you have a man who's, all of his days, he said, when you, when you look at his life, here's how sad this is. Uh, without God, if, you, if, if we actually took off the rose-colored glasses, if the secularist was honest about what they're working for, where it will lead them to is this place of going, I have a sad life, I have really hard days, and I have really sleepless nights. You ever actually been there with work? I've been there. Been there with ministry. Been there this been there this week actually. You know, right? Days are hard. Often sorrowful. Don't doesn't turn out the way you wanted. You don't close the deal you thought you were going. Whatever it is, and you ever carry that to bed? Anybody? My lack of sleep is often not because I'm not physically tired, but the wheels are spinning. Right. Now, this great evil that that Solomon is describing, what he's framing here is, notice this. Up until this point, Solomon has said this. "This This is sad. This is sad that this is how it is. But now when he calls that evil, you know what he's saying? This is not how it's supposed to be. Right? Vanity. Oh, this is sad. This is is me. Now he goes, this is not how God designed it. What do you think he's thinking about here? You think he's thinking about the fall of man? You think he's thinking about in the beginning when God created man. He created man in his very image. Don't we get that great picture in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, formed by God's very hand from the dust of the earth, God breathes the breath of life into man and he puts his image on man, puts his stamp of divinity on man, saying, you are going to reflect me to this world. And, and listen, there's a lot of mystery about that. There's, we, we, we talked through that when we went through anthropology. But God shows us one of the, the first implications of us being made in God's image. What is that? God took that man that he made in his image, and God took him, and what did he do? He put him in a garden, and he said, now get to work. Be like me. What did God just do prior to that? Create the world. The Bible says he rested from his labor. And so God creates man, listen, not to swing on hammocks in the Garden of Eden, Eden drinking, you know, Mai Tais and mojitos and all that stuff. Advanced mixology vocabulary. Um, you know, mimosas. Yes, I got another one. Okay, but someone's like, that's not what it was. That's not, when God created man, the fulfillment was never just to be found in rest. That, that's a part of it. But we were created in some way to come alive in our work. Like God has wired you for some things. You were not created to live like this. We were created in our labor to have sorrowful days and sleepless nights. 
and heavy loads. You see man created in the beginning to, to get dirt under his fingernails, to get to work, to till the ground. And it's this beautiful picture. God creates all the raw materials of the earth. He puts man in. He says, okay, I've started the project. Now mankind, you as my co-workers and co-laborers, you're going to carry it forward. Take all these raw materials that I've given you in this earth and create culture, cultivate them, and make something beautiful. Bring order out of it. Build cities for the benefit of the world to my glory. What a great design. And then there is the break in the system, right? A lack of trust in God. God is trusting man with so much. Like, here is my freshly created world. And God says, you just got to trust me to be your moral compass. And man said, no. You don't know better. I know better. I know how my life should be lived. I know what's right and wrong for me. In fact, you just want to take from me. Sin breaks into this world. And, And one of the first implications of the fall of man is that all of our labor is what? What? Cursed. Cursed. What was meant to bring fulfillment now leads to vanity. Solomon says, what's it all for? What's it all for in the end? Now, again, um, if this is where things ended, like you should quit your job right now, to be honest. But but in order for good news to be good, it's got to invade bad spaces, amen? I wonder if a lot of us, we don't have a genuine appreciation for the work of Christ because we don't know the extent of our state apart from him. I wonder if we actually had a greater understanding of how difficult life is and how vain life I wonder if we could, for a second here, think like Solomon. I wonder if it would help us to appreciate what God has done a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Um, I want you to see this, that Solomon is doing this for us. And, and this is kind of going to frame some context for why this is so depressing, Okay. It's been said, and I read it this way this week, and I felt it was so well well worded. Tim Chaddock writes it this way. He says, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is giving us a taste of what's bitter so that we might reach for what is better. Solomon is giving us a taste of what's bitter so that we might reach for something better. Notice what he says in verse 24. Nothing is, what's the word? Nothing is, verse 24, nothing is, help me out better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his, his soul should enjoy good in his labor. Notice this. This also, he's, he's going to show his cards. You ready? This is from the hand of God. You see that? This is, now, this is not how things ought to be. And, and he's actually going to continue to play the secularist for a second. He's going to go, you know what? It's not how things were meant to be, but hey, I get, you know what? If there's no God, if there's no eternity, here's, he goes, here's the best advice I can give you. Like, if there was no gospel, here's what actually what I would even tell us today. Just try to like it. Try hard to, to like it. You're like, well, I don't. Try harder. He says, there's really, I mean, here's the reality. And apart from God in eternity, best case scenario is 
you really enjoy your meals that you get to eat as a profit from your labor. You really enjoy your drink that you get to drink as a profit from your labor. And hopefully your soul can enjoy what you do. Hopefully you're in a position right now where you're not enduring your job, you're enjoying your job. Hopefully. If not, I, I, I got nothing else to tell you. That's essentially where Solomon's at, isn't he? There's nothing better, but notice this. He, he talks about the hand of God. And he starts to hint at something here. He says, okay, now, secularist, say you do end up actually enjoying your life. He goes, did you know something? Did you know that there's a God? And did you know that if you end up like the secularist, atheist, if you, if you actually end up enjoying your work, did you know that you didn't enjoy that on your own, but God let you enjoy that? That there's a God who gave you that enjoyment from the hand of God? You see this God he's pointing to? Now there's this shadow, there's this picture of a God who gives. This is beautiful because all along the way here, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about a life that takes, doesn't it? A life that leaves you empty, a life that leaves you in a place of vanity. And contrary to the belief of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden of a God who is stingy, and withholding his hand, and withholding enjoyment, and withholding blessing, Solomon says, the God of this universe has a hand stretched toward you, and with his hand he is seeking to pour out blessing and joy on your life. What a great reminder, because let's be honest, I think one of the most difficult things that we all struggle with is really believing that. Do you really believe that God's hand towards you is like this and not like this? Do you really believe that maybe in your work, maybe in your life, you can experience this sort of outpouring from God to get more out of what seems vain? Now, this is a shadow, this is a hint of the greatest gift that God would give. If you ever doubted for a second that God has an outstretched hand and wants to give to your life and bless your life, God would say, well, I've got one illustration. It's the illustration of my son Jesus who took on the vanity of your labor. He lived that life. Think about that. Jesus worked and he did the ultimate work by going to the cross and he labored at the cross. He exhausted himself at the cross and it's on that cross that God says, look, I'm giving you salvation. I'm giving you forgiveness. I'm giving you a fresh start. I'm give, if, if I'm going to give you my son, what else can I withhold from you? I've given you my best gift. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you personally, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever looks to him shall not perish in their vanity, but have everlasting life. This is the gospel. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and now we're delivered from vanity. Jesus took my vanity and I receive his fulfillment. And then you see in, the, in the, the New Testament, the early church, what you see is a lot of Paul's letters to these Christians who have become recipients of this great gift. Paul has a lot to, to say to them about their work and how that gift of salvation actually should not just transform their Sunday, but the greatest evidence that you've received the salvation through Jesus is your Monday through Friday. Like your work actually takes on a new feel to it. It takes on a new purpose to it. Now, for some of us, that's like such a foreign idea um, because we have created this false divide between the sacred and the secular. 
We go Sunday, sacred. Monday through Friday, you know, you got to work. Man's got to eat. And the New Testament would have a lot of contradictory things to say about that. Uh, Probably the most helpful verse that frames all of this is uh, found in Colossians chapter 3. Where Paul says, whatever you do, look at this, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Do you see this? Do you see Paul disagreeing with Solomon here? You see how this goes from working for nothing to working for an inheritance? Whoa. Do you see how this goes from Solomon just working for himself to now being hired by a new boss? This sort of undercover boss who's been around all along, okay? This is amazing. It's amazing specifically because of who Paul is writing to. In that day, there was this vocational injustice called slavery. And there were many who were unable to buy their way out of slavery at that time. They were stuck in that position, but they were followers of Jesus. And so Paul is going to say to those servants, those slaves... I mean, come on, is there, in that culture, the lowest, vocational low. Think of what you think is the, the worst micro, dirty job. Lower, 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 lower. The lowest of the low. And he says, you don't work for man. You work for God. You are doing, in fact, when you do your job, you're doing the work of the Lord. What? I mean, come on, think about this. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I mean, so if I bring up on stage, let's do an experiment. If I bring up on stage and I got, we got a pastor, we've got a, a, someone that works for a nonprofit, we've got a missionary, a barista, a musician, a house cleaning business owner. You can tell I prepare these illustrations. Um, and I ask, okay, who does the work of the Lord? Who's working for God? You're going to go, oh, come on. The ministry people. Paul would go, what? Now, God calls some to be pastors, evangelists, preachers to equip the saints. But he says, but that equipping, he says this in Ephesians 4, is for the work of their ministry. The capital M ministry doesn't exist to hog the ministry. It, equips, it exists to equip the church to do their ministry. Like that's foreign to a lot of us who have been consumer Christians our whole lives. We go throughout our work, we do our thing, then we show up at church, and we're like, okay, the minister. <laughs> Change my life. Give me meaning. I don't plan on doing anything different at work this week. I have this false identity of being not in ministry because I work this sort of secular job, but come on. Paul says, whatever you do, what do you do? You a mom? Whatever you do, whatever you're doing, What's your labor? He says, here's the trick. Here's where you find the fulfillment. Do it for God. Do it for him. Don't do it for your boss's approval. Do it for God's approval. You don't work for them. You don't have a human master. You're a servant of God. And and don't do it for an earthly reward. That'll come, especially if you work hard. A laborer should be worthy of his wage. But, But do it for something greater. You see, we're able through Jesus to get to this place of when we ask this question, what are you working for? We say Jesus and eternity. More than this life. An eternal purpose, an eternal God, an eternal meaning. So check out what this does. This takes 
all four of these disappointing limits of labor and it flips them upside down. Think about this. Now, as you go into your work, whatever you do for the rest of your life, and don't just think of your nine to five, like that, that's included, but the rest of your life, as you labor, you're no longer limited by how much you do compared to what they do. Amen? Listen, when we stand before God one day, our judgment is not going to be with what we did according to what they did. You are, you are judged according to what you do with what you've been given. That's it. It's the parable of the talents, right? Well, I wish I just had five talents. I just got this one. It's not about how much you have. It's what do you do with what you have. How are you multiplying it? Get out of this comparison culture crud, which we're in the middle of right now. Got to be the best. Got to Listen. Here's the most successful thing you can do. Be faithful. Oh, Proverbs says, most men will proclaim their own goodness. I'm the man. But who will find a faithful man? Who, who can find that? That's what Paul says to the church. He says, when it comes to productivity, here's, here's what it means for you to be productive in the eyes of God. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. Come on, we got some various forms in here. From, from the church sec- sector to the nonprofit world to, to whatever it may be. Now, I do want to say that I think there is something to be said here about what you do and does it actually benefit people. Now, there's times where you've got to just tent make and you've got to labor and, and you've got to do whatever it may be. I'm not knocking you know, your job unless it is harming people. So that is something to think about. Uh, what, what benefit am I bringing with my life? Now, maybe you go, you know, it, it doesn't negatively affect people. It's a, it's a product, it, you know, but it provides for my family. Well, that's a good thing, okay? But, but this is something to think about. At the end of the day, here's the test. Your productivity is what you do with what you've been given. Are you a faithful steward of what you've been given? Uh, what about your mortality? Your mortality. Now, as Christians, does mortality now make us view our work as meaningless? No, it makes it more meaningful, because one day we're going to stand before God and we, we are delighting and desiring to hear him say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Now with my mortality, you know what it does? The fact that I will not be preaching forever makes me want to preach my heart out. The fact that I'm going to give my life one day, it's going to be gone. It makes me look at this little dash between the two dates, right? Date of birth, day of death. You got a little dash there. It makes me want to squeeze every drop from that dash. Amen? Mortality, from the Christian perspective, it doesn't discourage, it encourages. Uh, There's legacy. Now, this is a huge one. I think we should leave a legacy. We should live uh, with a mindset of this question. Legacy is about this. What do I pass on when I pass on? That's legacy. What do I pass on when I pass on? This is material. This is also spiritual. It should be predominantly spiritual, right? Um, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? So as a parent, we have one main target to hit with our kids. It's the bullseye of eternity, right? So I want my kids to be educated. I want them to be athletic. I want Judah to make a bunch of money from skateboarding and give it to me. I want but never at the expense of giving his life to know Jesus. Legacy. Now, remember the limit of legacy we looked at? 
It was an interesting one, wasn't it? The limit of legacy is what? Our memory, right? Now, you know what the gospel does for us? As those who no longer live to please man, here's what this, this alters. Now, we don't live for the recognition of man remembering what we've done. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe you'll go down in, in some sort of uh, you know, famous hall, okay? But to know what Paul says in Hebrews 6 is the greatest reward. He says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Can I just like say for a second, moms, God sees you. I know no one else does. He sees you. He's not unjust. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't overlooked all those seeds you've sown. I'm a testimony of a mom who went home to heaven after finally seeing me come to Jesus. And now I'm the, the testimony of a dad who's been a mom for a weekend. <laughs> a whole new appreciation there. He sees you. I know, I know there's very little recognition in what you're doing, but there is eternal value. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. And, and whatever else, what is that for you? What is that thing that you're doing that, listen, what if that thing you're doing that no one sees became an opportunity for you to just worship God? You know, you'd be like, you'd be like Daniel who had a distinguishing spirit within him, an excellent spirit. People are gonna go, what is that about you? Why do you do such a meaningful task in such an excellent way and you could say, because I don't work for you and I don't work for him, I work for God. So I, whatever I do, I do it heartily as unto the Lord for the glory of Jesus. And then lastly, we'll end with this, prosperity, right? I mean, no security over what's going to happen to my wealth. I, I, what I come in with, I also leave with. But here's the good news. The good news is that we live for more than just financial prosperity. We want to apply principles of God's word. We want to seek to be fruitful in life and ministry. We want to be able to leave a legacy, a financial legacy for our children, put them in a better spot. We, we want to be those that are able to be generous with our temporary resources. Um, but we do so mindful of the words of Jesus who said, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, where fools take what you've built and squander it. Okay, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not bring in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So now I'm not limited by the fact that I can't hold my possessions forever because I am stewarding my possessions for an eternal reward. So, so I'm not holding on to what I have like this I'm holding my hands wide open saying, God, everything I have has come from you. All of it. I'm gonna give to the church. I'm gonna give to the poor. I'm gonna save. I'm going to be a steward with what you've given me because it's not mine. I'm gonna lay up treasure in heaven and God, may you know where my heart is by where I put what's valuable. Where, where do I put my money towards? That's where my heart really is. So Jesus reorients what was once depressing, what once made us bitter, now can make things better. We close with again with this question, what are you working for? What's it all for? I mean, in the end, what's the profit? Without God, without eternity, it's vanity. But with Jesus, with the hope of eternal life, it is fulfilling. Amen.
Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulschurch.com.